I'm from a chilly Tyler to have on a long sleeve shirt today, as you see. Although I'm inside, I'm a 63-year-old male, which means I just get flat cold. So um, at any rate, I know that you wanted to know that. Great start, Bill. Nicely done. Uh, I hope that you're still with me if you've joined from the start and looking forward to sharing with you a little bit, not more about TMI from Bill, but more about the Apostle Paul and his letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippians. Uh, we've been studying on Wednesday nights in our uh, adult general adult Bible class in our chapel at West Irwin Church in Tyler, Texas. We've been studying the uh, letters of Paul to the Thessalonians and looking especially at the relationship that Paul had with the church at Thessalonica. And Philippi is a similar story. Uh, the book of Philippians is written to the church at Philippi in modern-day Greece, in the northern half of, of modern-day Greece. In the first century, the Roman um, Empire had divided up uh, what we call Greece into two provinces, uh, the northern province of Macedonia and the southern province of Achaia. Southern province of Achaia included Corinth and Athens. Uh, obviously, Corinth, a great recipient of a lot of correspondence from Paul. Some we have, some we apparently do not have. Uh, our first and second Corinthians we do have. The church at Athens received an incredible sermon uh, that Luke records in Acts 17 from the Apostle Paul, an interesting statement. Uh, but in the northern province of Macedonia, there is the church of, uh, of the Thessalonians, as Paul addresses them in First and Second Thessalonians. So you have Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, Paul, when he goes to Thessalonica, the, the uh, Jews there run him out of town, uh, as we read about in Acts 17. And then he goes to Berea, and it says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they... Uh, searched the scriptures daily. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was telling them was the truth. Uh, a great, a great statement of their uh, faith in God's word. Uh, and um, But unfortunately, the Jews from Thessalonica hired this group of mercenaries to not only run them out of their town, but to run them out of the neighboring town of Berea as well. And that's when Paul went south into uh, Achaia and visited uh, Athens and then Corinth. But when he first went into Europe, uh, when he first went uh, across from what we would call modern-day Turkey into modern-day Greece, um, it was to Philippi. It was to the Philippians in that great story, as we have mentioned in this study earlier in Acts 16, uh, meeting the woman Lydia, baptizing her and her family, staying at her home, likely the church meeting in her home, and uh, and then reaching out to others, even being uh, in jail and converting the jailer as Paul and Silas were singing praises to God after being beaten for the cause of Christ and imprisoned in the jail in Philippi. Um, all of that to say this is um, an incredible letter, and that's all part of what we call Paul's second mission journey. And, um, and so Paul now is writing to that church that began his European ministry, the church at Philippi. Uh, and we saw in chapter one that uh, Paul was uh, writing from jail, uh, probably in the Roman jail, as we have said, and that's recorded by Luke in Acts 28. It's how he ends the, the book of, of Acts. 
uh, with Paul in under house arrest uh, and uh, incarcerated, basically able to move around uh, some, able to interact with people, able to have people come and hear the message of Christ, uh, but still uh, under arrest, awaiting his appeal to the Roman Emperor Caesar that he had done to save his life uh, back when he was being uh, threatened by the Jews from Jerusalem and ultimately having to make his appeal uh, to Caesar, uh, to the Roman governor's uh, there in um, uh, in Caesarea. So uh, now he's writing. And in chapter one, he says, look, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I get out of jail, great. If I don't, great. I'm going to glorify God either through life or through death. And, uh, and he reminds us in chapter two that that's what Jesus did. That was his attitude as well. And that should be all of our attitudes. Uh, the mind of Christ, have this mind or attitude in you. Uh, which was also in Christ Jesus, that great scripture, likely a first century song or hymn of praise uh, in verses 5 through 11. It speaks of how Jesus came and took upon human form and uh, uh, endured all of the things that life throws at us and, and even endured uh, death by crucifixion. And now has been exalted. And one day all knees will bow and all tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't see that yet. And so now we have to ask ourselves, okay, how, how are we supposed to live in this world? And that gets us to chapter three, and that's where we have begun looking as uh, Paul recounts a little bit of his life. He speaks uh, autobiographically, telling his story, much like he does in 1 Timothy 1, and much like he does in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. Uh, he talks about his life of faith. And earlier in chapter three, we had seen that he says, hey, I was a, a, a Jew. I was a Hebrew. I was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was one who um, was doing everything I could to keep people from believing in Jesus. Uh, but that all changed. And so he talks about putting those things behind him and uh, seeking to follow God and to seek his will and to live out his will. And so one of the things that's uh, this passage that we're looking at today in Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, always reminds me of is um, the movie City Slickers. Uh, and uh, that great movie with Jack Palance as Curly and uh, Billy Crystal as a guy who was uh, facing some difficult transitions in his life and was thinking, I... I, I'm not sure who I am. I'm going through this midlife crisis, blah, blah, blah. And so he and his buddies go off on on this, um, go to this place, a dude ranch, you might say, where they can go on a trail ride. And Curly is the trail boss. And uh, Jack Palance, wonderful role for him. Uh, but one of those things that Curly shares with Billy Crystal when they're kind of by themselves and experiencing some things is... Um, uh, he talks about the, the secret of life, and, uh, and he asked Billy Crystal, do you want to know what the secret of life is? And Billy Crystal says, well, yeah, I sure do. And he says, it's just one thing, one thing. And Billy Crystal goes, well, what is that one thing? And, uh, and Curly says, well, that's what you're going to have to figure out for yourself. And, of course, the rest of the movie, ultimately, Billy Crystal finds that one thing for his character. Um, and, 
And, you know, I, I don't think that the Apostle Paul would agree much with Curly uh, from City Slickers, but I think he would agree about that. There is one thing that uh, takes precedence over everything that is the secret or purpose or mission in life. But I think there's one thing that Paul recognized that we can all share, and he tells us what that is in, first, in Philippians 3. Uh, verses 12 through 21. So um, one thing that he says, he's going to say two things. I have not arrived and this world is not my home. He's going to say both of those things. But let's look at that first part. I have not arrived, Paul says. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, here it is, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Well, as you can tell, this verse leans heavily on the verses that precede it. And the verses in the verses that precede it, as we have said, Paul speaks about his life. He speaks about his life as a Jewish leader, as a Pharisee, as a person who was trying to defeat Christ and his church and his disciples, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had said in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church. Uh, but he says in verse 7, all of these things, whatever were gains to me, whatever I thought were accomplishments for me, I consider nothing but loss. In fact, he says, I consider them garbage so that I can come to know the same resurrection that Jesus experienced, even if it means having the same um, uh, persecution and suffering. And so verse 10 and 11 really introduce this passage. Uh, I want to know Christ, Philippians 3, verse 10. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul wanted more than anything else. He wanted to share with Christ in the resurrection. He wanted to live with Jesus for eternity, and that is what we all want. And so there is something that we can do to try to bring that about. Had Jesus not died on the cross for our sins and shed his blood for us, we would have no hope of that, none. But since Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected, and that is the gospel, since there is that good news, we now have a reason to believe that we can attain to that resurrection with Jesus, not earn it, not deserve it. No matter what we do in our lives, there's no way that can happen. But what can happen is that we can live our lives with such purpose and with such mission that we are able to live with him forever. And that's what gets us to verse 12. I have not arrived, Paul says very plainly. We have not yet been made perfect. Instead, we press on. 
And pressing on for Paul involves two actions. It involves forgetting what is behind, and it involves straining toward what is ahead. And so he says in verse 12, I haven't already obtained this. I have not arrived, and so I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Don't you love that? And Paul could really say that in a way that's somewhat unique because Jesus called him and approached him and confronted him right there on that road to Damascus that we read about in Acts 9 and then he tells about in Acts 22 and in Acts 26 and as he tells his story. And, and here he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And he says, I, I haven't gotten there. I have not arrived Verse 13, I don't consider myself yet to have done that, but this one thing I do, and here it is, forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what is ahead, I press on toward that goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus. If you want to know what that one thing was for Paul, he said it was forgetting what was behind, straining toward what was ahead, I press on. I press on to be in heaven with Jesus for eternity. That is the one thing for Paul. And he would add to that and to bring as many people as possible with me as I go. And that's what he was all about. Pressing on for Paul involves two actions. Behind, first of all. And for us, I think we, like Paul, can say, well, that means forgetting the good things and the bad things. Because he talks about the good things earlier in chapter 3. He lists those accomplishments, those things he had done. Being a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a, a persecutor of the church. You can't deny his zeal. Uh, it was strong. Uh, he certainly did that in a very real way. But for Paul, he also says, um, I let all of that go because that wasn't worth keeping. And so I considered all of those things as loss. Forgetting what is behind means looking at the good things you've done. And instead of taking pride in them and thinking that that earns you a trip to heaven, being willing to forget them. And that's what Paul says he did. But not just the good things, the bad things as well. Paul would say, as he also spoke autobiographically in 1 Timothy 1, he would talk about forgetting those things, but he would say, look, I was, I was a violent man. I was a persecutor. And he says he calls himself in 1 Timothy 1 the worst of sinners or the chief of sinners. But what we do with the good things, we forget about them and don't take pride in them, but the bad things we leave to God. The bad things we turn over to Jesus and accept forgiveness through his blood and through his sacrifice. And Paul was able to do that. And what he says in 1 Timothy 1 is, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I found forgiveness. And if God can forgive me, he can forgive you and he can forgive anyone. And so forgetting what is behind involves forgetting the good things and not taking pride in them, but also forgetting the bad things and being willing to let go of those things and, and turn loose of them and the guilt they, they wage on us and that Satan tries to burden us down with and leaving them at the cross of Jesus Christ. But it involves not just forgetting what is behind, but rather also, he says, straining toward what is ahead. I press on. Verse 14, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
And he's going to say more about that in the verses that follow. But he presses on, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. And what is ahead for Paul? It was that heavenly home. It was that eternity with Jesus. Uh, Perhaps he had heard, I'm sure he had, from the apostles what Jesus had said in that upper room in John 14. As he talked about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back again to get you so that you can be where I am for eternity. Paul says, that's what I want. I'm straining toward that which is ahead uh, for me in Christ Jesus. This calls for maturity and perseverance. And it also calls for a heavenward focus. And so that's the second part of this passage. First of all, he says, I have not arrived. But then he says, straining and striving toward what is ahead, I acknowledge that this world is not my home. Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, speaking of himself and Silas and Timothy, keep your eyes on those who live as we do, also Epaphroditus that they knew quite well. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, verse 18, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destination is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, Philippians 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul writes much the same things in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as he talks about how this physical body will be uh, changed, will be changed. And he says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians 4. He talks about that coming of Christ when the dead in Christ shall rise first and then those of us who are alive will join the Lord and meet him in the air. In this case, he tells them we are looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, we're still here. We're still here on the earth. And so to that degree, he says, we are away from home. To those that the Apostle Peter writes, he calls them resident aliens or resident immigrants in this world. Uh, This is not our home. As the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's that that's that idea of being pilgrims. Here we are, but straying pilgrims again. uh, uh, The idea of, of a great old song that reminds us that this world is just a temporary place and that our ultimate home is in heaven. But this world is our place for right now. And so what Paul says is because this world is not my home, because our citizenship is in heaven, that should affect how we live in this life and in this world. Um, And I think that's something that we all need to especially remember. Paul speaks in these verses and reminds us that some are enemies of the cross and they do not live 
with an eye toward heaven, but live only for self. And that's what he means as he tells them uh, in verse 19, there are many who, who don't turn towards Christ. Uh, they're enemies of the cross. And he says in verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Their destiny is destruction. What's ahead for them ultimately is uh, death. The wages of sin is death. Paul writes in Romans 6 at the end of that great chapter. But he says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, those who are enemies of the cross, their destiny is destruction. The ultimate end of their path is eternal death. And he says that their their God is their stomach. And I think that means more than just they, they are always worried about what they're going to eat. But I think what he's saying there is they're all about the physical. They're all about what's going on right now. Uh, the physical cravings, the physical needs, the physical wants. That's as, that's as far as it gets for them. They're only concerned with this moment. And they're concerned about this moment for them. It's a selfish concern. It's a selfish desire. Their God, basically what he's saying is their God is themselves. They're their own God. They're not serving the one true and living God. They're, they're selfishly serving themselves. Paul says that's not the way of the cross. The way of the cross, as he has said in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, especially verses 5 through 11, the way of the cross is to do what Jesus did, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him as Jesus himself told us. Follow him every day. Take up that cross every day in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. But what Paul says in chapter 2 of Philippians is Jesus himself did that. He took up his own cross and he gave his own life for us and was raised from the dead. And we too look forward to that. This is that one thing we do is to join Christ in this world, living a selfless life, seeking to be obedient to the Father so that we can live with him in heaven. We won't be completely obedient like Jesus was. It won't be a perfect obedience. Uh, we're very much aware of our sins and our failings in this. But because Jesus' obedience was a perfect obedience, because his sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice, it is enough. The blood of Christ is enough. If we're willing to trust in that, and like the, another old song says, I've got these old hymns, great hymns on my mind today, trust and obey. Not perfect obedience, but an obedience that is matched with faith that says there's there's a, a, a way in which the cross of Christ and the blood that he shed there cleanses me from my sins and allows me to live a life of faithful obedience to God. Not perfect obedience, but faithful obedience. For us, um, <clears throat> unlike others, this world is not our home. Others live only for this world. Their God is their stomach. Their end is destruction. Um, this is it for them. But for the Christian, our citizenship, he says in verse 27, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, he says that in Philippians 3, verse 20. And then in Philippians 1, verse 27, he says, look, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. 
Uh, our citizenship is in heaven, he says in Philippians 3, verse 20. And so from there, we eagerly await that Savior to come and to take these bodies and to resurrect the dead and to raise the ones who are alive in Christ and, and to uh, give us that eternal uh, body that will live forever. And that presence, that body that we can have in the presence of God himself. And so our citizenship is in heaven. And I think sometimes we're criticized as Christians because uh, we're so caught up in this part of it that we forget what Paul says here. His message is not just that that's our hope and that's our home, and that's certainly part of the message. But his message here is this affects how we live today. This one thing I do, he says, I press on towards that goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead, that heavenly home. But it makes a difference in how I live my life now. And so because our goal is heaven, because this world is not our home, we seek to serve God in this world each and every day. We seek to make this a better place for everyone around us. We seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. We seek to go the way of the cross for the sake of others, just as Jesus went the way of the cross for our sakes. That citizenship of heaven in heaven affects how we live now. We live in this world the way Christ lived in this world. Paul says, that's the one thing that I do. I press on. I strain towards what is ahead. I put the good and the bad in my life in the past behind me. And I turn all of that over to Jesus. And I press on. I press on towards that heavenly goal. And it's not here yet. We pray that it will be here soon. Anytime. Today would be great, Lord. But if it's not today, then you and I will continue to live a life of faith, a life of hope. That endurance of hope that Paul writes and talks and praises actually the Thessalonians about. In the midst of persecution, they lived a life of endurance because of their hope in Jesus Christ. Because like us, like Paul, their citizenship was in heaven. That's where our citizenship is as well. Our present affects our eternity. We're good about that one, right? Live faithfully now, respond to the gospel now in faith. So that you can live with God for eternity. We get that. Our present affects our eternity. But I think this passage today is emphasizing this. Our eternity affects our present. The fact that this world is not our home affects how we live in this world. It tells us that we should live a certain way. We should live the way of the cross. We should live the way Jesus lived. We should live the way Paul the Apostle lived. We should live, follow others' examples as they followed the example of Christ. That's what Paul says in those last several verses. We eagerly anticipate the coming of Christ, but in the meantime, in the meantime, we recognize our citizenship is in heaven, but right now we're resident immigrants of the earth. This is not our home, but it's our home for now. And so we will make the best of it. And we will seek to help others to come to understand this world is not their home either. This world is not going to go forever for anybody. These bodies and this physical life is not going to go on forever for anybody. 
And so what we try to do is we try to share that faith, share that gospel. I spoke in the sermon this morning at West Irwin Church of Christ that we are called upon to make disciples. We're called upon to share our faith without words by godly lives and with words, putting in a good word for Jesus. As uh, the preacher from Seattle said years ago, Milton Jones, we are called to share our faith. When people ask us about our hope, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, we're ready to tell them. And what we tell them is, this world is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven, and yours can be too. Because Jesus came and lived and died and was raised so that you too can be raised and can live forever. Our present affects our eternity, that's for sure. But our eternity, the fact that this world is not my home, that our citizenship is in heaven, that affects how we live today. That affects our present. So what is the one thing? Curly said one thing matters and you have to figure that out for yourself. Paul himself told us what it is. For Paul and for us, it is pressing on toward the goal of eternity in the presence of God. For Jesus, he said, it is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, verse 33. It is seeking to serve rather than to be served. Matthew 20, verse 28. It is uh, seeking and saving the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. It is whatever we do um, in all things. This is what I live to do at the end of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, trying to present everyone perfect in Christ. That's the thing I labor for. That's the thing I live for. So that they too can share in eternity, in our eternal home with Jesus himself. Jesus said, I've come so that others may have life and have it to the full. John 10 verse 10. In the context of his being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus did that for you, and he did that for me, and he did that for a reason, so that we could recognize that this world is not our home, that our citizenship is in heaven, but so that that great truth could impact how we live our lives here. And so now this one thing I do, I press on, I strain, I forget those things that are behind, strain toward what is ahead, and I press on to reach that heavenly goal, to be in that mansion over the hilltop, to join Jesus, my Savior, in eternity, in the presence of the throne of the Father. May God bless you in that attempt and in that goal. And may God be praised for making it possible through our Savior and our Lord Jesus.